I'm Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns. And I'm Rebecca Hackmeyer, and I use she, her pronouns. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Rad, Rad Child, Child Podcast. Podcast. For joining us for another episode of Way to Go and Room to Grow. Um, so today we are talking a little bit about adoption and just um, some some books, both for uh, you know kids who have been adopted um, or are in that process, and uh, kids who you know may not be adopted and just uh, just want to learn a little bit about it, or we just want to have you know well rounded uh, books on our shelves about all different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of uh, I kind of picked. Uh, from a bunch of different categories of books. Like I have sort of one that's like a pull off the shelf. I feel like you could read to any kid. I have one that's like very much nonfiction for a kid who has been adopted or is in the process of being adopted. Um, And then I have one that's sort of like uh, one of those books. that's like here are a bunch of different ways families can look. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them happens to be adoption. Um, So I sort of picked one of each one from each category to have a little bit of a diverse mixture. Um, so I'm going to start with my pull off the shelf one, um, which is called A Mother for Choco. I love this book so much that I actually found, I found a, it was actually recommended to me. First of all, it was recommended to me by, I don't remember who, but one or multiple of the guests that I had on for the episode about adoption, um, who are adoptive parents. And uh, so I looked at this book and I found like a read aloud of it online, but I liked it so much that I bought it. (laughs) I was like, this is such a sweet book. Uh, It made me cry, which when a book makes me cry, I feel like it's a good book. (laughs) I'm the same way with movies. That's why Titanic is my favorite movie. I like to weep. It's cathartic. Uh, But I don't know. There's just something about when something really moves me that I feel like, wow, this is like a good piece of whatever art form it is. You know what I mean? Totally. but anyway, so uh, A Mother for Choco is, by, uh, it's written and illustrated by Keiko Kaza. Um, and uh, it is uh, published, I, words are hard. It was published uh, by Puffin, which is an imprint of Penguin, um, Penguin Random House. And it's basically, uh, it's a pretty simple book. Uh, I'm going to explain a little bit and read a little bit. Um, so uh, it's about this little bird named Choco and Choco doesn't have a mommy and Choco is looking for a mommy. So he sort of goes up to various animals and he, you know, and is sort of noticing that they have something in common with him and is asking, okay, well, are you my mother? Um, so for example, right, he goes up to the giraffe and says, first Choco met Miss, Mrs. Giraffe. Oh, Mrs. Giraffe, he cried. Are you, you're yellow just like me. Choco is a yellow bird. Um, are you my mother? I'm sorry, said Mrs. Giraffe, but I don't have wings like you, right? And then he goes up to the penguin and then he's like, well, you have wings. And they're like, oh, but I don't have puffy cheeks like you. And then, you know, goes up to the walrus, who's kind of a meanie. Um, and, you know, it's like, well, I have puffy cheeks like you. And it says, now look, grumped Mrs. Walrus, I don't have striped feet like you. So don't bother me. I'm like, wow, <laughs> Mrs. Walrus is having a bad day. Um, she is and- a mood. Is <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and, uh, And so, you know, it says no matter where Choco searched, he couldn't find a mother who looked just like him. Uh, And then he sort of wanders into the forest and sees Mrs. Bear picking apples and uh, and is like, well, you know, he says he knew she couldn't be his mother. Mrs. Bear didn't look like him at all. And then this is the page. My wife still quotes this sometimes. And it's like, why did you read this to me? This made me weep. Um, It says Choco was so sad he started to cry. Mommy, mommy, I need a mommy. So sad. And Mrs. Bear came running to see what was the matter. As she listened to Choco's story, she sighed. 
Oh dear, if you had a mommy, what would she do? Oh, I'm sure she would hold me, sobbed Choco. Like this, said Mrs. Bear, and she held Choco very tight. And I'm, yes, and I'm sure she would kiss me too, said Choco. Like this, said asked Mrs. Bear, and she lifted Choco and gave him a big kiss. Yes, and I'm sure she would sing and dance with me to cheer me up, said Choco. Like this, asked Mrs. Bear, and they sang and danced together. When they stopped to rest, Mrs. Bear turned to Choco and said, Choco, maybe I could be your mother. You, Choco cried, but you aren't yellow and you don't have wings or big round cheeks or striped feet like me. My goodness, said Mrs. Bear, that would make me look very funny. Choco thought it was funny too. And there's this great illustration of what Mrs. Bear would look like that. Mm. Uh, and, then, and then basically Mrs. Bear uh, takes Choco home to meet her other children. And when she gets home, we see that her other children are a hippopotamus, a pig, and an alligator. So she's adopted all of these other children who are aptly named Hippie, Allie, and Piggy. <laughs> and, uh, and they all eat apple pie and play together. Uh, and the last page says, after their delicious treat, Mrs. Bear gave all of her children a big, warm bear hug. And Shoko was very happy that his new mommy looked just the way she did. Um, so this book is just like very sweet. Um, I think it's it's a nice the nice sort of way to goes are I like that it's simple. Um, it it also has this nice message message of like we don't need to necessarily look like our parents or the other members of our family because I think that's valid for lots of different people. Right. Um, right. Like my my friend, one of my best friends, Tracy, is uh, you know biologically related to both of her parents and looks nothing like the rest of her. <laughs> we they always you know her sister it was this typical right her sister would be like you were adopted um the mean older sister uh bit um but you know what i mean for lots of people that's relevant so i i really liked that um again it makes me cry bonus uh and uh i i think what's nice about this book is i think you could read this to any kid i don't think it's necessarily um geared toward only kids who have been adopted or 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 is like explaining in a way that's like too simple for you know what i mean that's like Mm -hmm. for kids maybe from outside of that like this is what adoption is um i think it's you know it's just a sweet story and i don't even think you actively need to be thinking about adoption to read this story if that makes sense um yeah, I just yeah, think it's about it's a, belonging a and yeah. inclusivity and what makes a family and the, yeah, exactly. Um, the only I like I said I love this book. Um, the only like quote unquote room to grow I could find is like technically it's it's not own voices in the sense that the the author is not an adoptee or an adoptive parent, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that that necessarily bothers me. Um, for this story, I think it's really well done. Um, yeah, so that's a mother for Choco. <laughs> but sometimes i swear cat will still my wife will still come to me and be like mommy mommy i need a mommy oh. <laughs> that part like broke her heart <laughs> um so the next book i want to talk about is a nonfiction book and it's called all about adoption how families are made and how kids feel about it mm-hmm. uh and it is written by mark uh let's see if i can get this name right nemeroff and jane Annunziata and it's illustrated by Carol Kohler um, and this is from Imagination Press uh, which we, we've talked about before they are uh, it's basically a publishing company of the American Psychological Association so their stuff is usually pretty good um, it can, it's I don't know it's kind of hit or miss sometimes with the content but like it's at least coming from the perspective of you like they get people writing who know about what they're talking about right. um, which is nice these two are uh so these two i don't know 
I wasn't able to find out information if they have a direct connection to adoption in their personal lives, but they're both clinical psychologists who specialize in families and children. Um, so they have that, that perspective. Um, and uh, so this is a, like I said, it's a nonfiction book um, and it's intended for kids who either have been adopted or in the process of being adopted. And basically it just uh, sort of explains what adoption is, um, all the sort of various steps involved, um, right? It explains things like why a birth family might decide to put their child up for adoption. I actually want to turn to that page because I liked that page. They were um, basically saying, you know, your birth parents begin might begin to realize that they might not do a good job of taking care of a child. They think a long time and then they know they can't be the kinds of parents this child needs. They want you to have everything a child needs to grow up happy and healthy. And then there's sort of a thought bubble coming out of the parent's head. And it says love, attention, good food, feeling safe, comfortable home, good schools, good doctors, toys, and friends to play with. So I like in a way that it doesn't like demonize the birth parents. You know what I mean? It's like they wanted what was best for you and they couldn't give that to you, right? For a number of different, it leaves that open um, for a number of different reasons. So I, I appreciated that because I think uh, sometimes, you know, the birth parents can sort of be like, you know, there's sort of this negative, like, oh, they were not good parents they, by giving their kid away. You know what I mean? No, I'm just, I'm just thinking about that. It's just such a complicated. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I, I definitely appreciate that this from what you're describing that this book uh, presents the biological family, right? Or the biological parents or parent and their thought process in like a, yeah, in like a, um, a positive light, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like even that list of things that like ostensibly this person thinks is most important to have, like that a child has, like some of those are so, um, uh like normative yeah you know? oh for sure you know so it's just one of those things where it's like I I completely un I understand the impetus behind that list but at the same time it just makes me think like this is not what like you know this is not a list like not everything on this list is required for a child to thrive right uh, yes correct I think there's a lot there's definitely a lot of like privilege aspects um in some of those things uh like the the thing that stands out to me stands out to me is like quote unquote like what is a good school um right right or or, or certain things like that for sure um or like what is good food I'm using air quotes right, right exactly <laughs> um, and like if you're so yeah right exactly yes yeah, yeah no I definitely I thank you for saying that I definitely agree with you I I guess like the thing that I liked about it was that it sort of put the birth parents in a more positive light um but I agree with you as far as the contents of the list that I'm just kind of like yeah it does you know that it, it opens up a whole nother conversation about um workshopping that list Absolutely. what does a child need to thrive right um uh but anyway so you know it, it sort of goes through and it talks about it's very sort of like step by step so it starts from like when the adoption begins to like talks about some of the helpers they call them like helpers right, right? like adoption agencies pediatricians lawyers um things like that and then they even talk about the logistical stuff like you know filling out paperwork and home visits and all the things that need to happen right before an adoption can take place um it also talks about right how like kids can be adopted at any age and can be adopted locally or internationally um it talks about uh, the, this is the part of the book so the first half of the book is very like 
logistical and very like this is what adoptions look like and these are kind of all the steps and then it sort of gets to the second part of the title because it's like how families are made and how kids feel about it so that's the how families are made part and now we get to the like how kids feel about it part Mm. um which is my favorite part of the book personally which is like it's talking about um you know for example uh it's talking on on one particular page it says you know the day when you and your parents got to see each other for the first time and it's very special there are so many feelings if you were adopted as an older child you might remember feeling happy excited and a little bit nervous too even adoptive parents have some of those feelings and after all it's a new beginning for everybody and so it shows a, a bunch of different uh kids feeling different ways and then it doesn't say it on this page but then on a another on another page they're talking about um you know, on like when you're, you know, going to your new, uh, going to your new home, um, that there can be a lot of different feelings too. And it shows this little kid and all of these different, you know, that kind of thought bubbles, like, I'm so glad. I wonder if what my new school will be like, will people like me? You know, will I be happy? All these different things. And then it says, can you name some other feelings? Um, So I appreciate that interactive aspect of it where like, if you are a kid who has been adopted or is in the process of being adopted or whatever, um, you can, like it opens up the door to like, well, how are you feeling about this? Or how did you feel about it when that happened? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and I really like that it validates and on the other page too. I think I like that it validates the feelings and also validates like grownups are having a lot of feelings about this too. Right. It's not just you. Right. Um, and you know, there may be different feelings, but there definitely are like a mixture of emotions, like that might not feel like they go together. Right. Like you might be sad, but you might be happy at this, right. Like sad, um, about leaving wherever you currently are, but happy, you know, ex- or excited or scared, or, right? It's like a, a, that that there's a mixture of emotion, emotions going on, um, which I appreciate. And then they were saying even, I like this, they're saying even, because they were talking about like older kids and babies being adopted. And they're saying even babies know when something has changed, that something has changed when they uh, are adopted. And so, right, they're talking about like they have different things to look at. Maybe they have different things to hold and touch, different people taking care of being different kinds of smells and sounds. And then again, it's like, can you name some other changes that might happen? Um, right. Oh, I like that. So often, um, yeah. like there's, like the non-objectification of babies, like yeah. babies are, are human beings <laughs> yep. who, who experience the world as fully, you know, form, not fully, well, <laughs> yes, I want to say fully formed, but right, like the, the babies, <laughs> babies know stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I really, I really like that they included um, sort of the baby's thought process and things because babies absolutely notice when things are different. I mean, uh, this is in a different direction, right? I, uh, I have, some of you may know I have bunnies. I have, well, we had two and we just got a third one. And like, I would, I would argue that babies are probably a little more intelligent than bunnies. And the bunnies knew that there was a new, like the new baby knew that the bunny knew that she was in new surroundings and knew that something different was going on, was acting away. The other bunnies who are baby, you know, was like Meredith's one, like she knew something else was going So like if bunnies can figure it out, like I'm pretty sure babies know that things are changing, right? Like the idea that babies are just like, people are like, oh, they're not, you know, people who are like very flippant about babies. I'm just like, they know what's going on. Maybe right. not on the same level or maybe they're not able to communicate it in the way you and I can, but like. They're right. so smart and they are aware. Right. It, always, um, it breaks my sure. heart when people, it, it, it breaks my heart that the, that, that is kind of still a narrative that is yeah. embraced the idea that babies and small children, like, oh, they don't understand. Right. Like, but like they even, do. Like when or they people, have the capacity to a lot of times. Yeah. Or when they talk, when people talk about their children in front of their children, Ugh. kind of like, 
don't recognize that children understand when they're being yeah. spoken about and understand yep. tone and understand. Well, like, I, I always think about, I think about that in the sense, uh, and I want to make it very clear that, um, this is not a judgment on whether people you, you know, quote unquote curse in front of their children or not. Um, because I know people have a lot of different feelings about it. Like, like my friends, for example, are just like their words. Like if my, if my three-year-old stubs her toe and says the F word, that's fine. If she calls someone an effing something, that's not fine. Right. So it's like more like for them, it's more context. Whereas I know people who are just like, those are you know, not words that I want my kid to use. And like, I think both of those, there are definitely arguments for both of those, but all of that to say that I've had parents who don't want their kids to use those words, ask me, when do we need to stop using those words in front of our kids? And I'm like, now, <laughs> like they can understand and hear you. Right. Like, and, you know, I, so I think that, um, I always thought that was kind of funny because I've been asked that by multiple parents with like babies. Right. And I'm just like, also just good for you to get in the habit if you don't want to be using these words around your well, kids. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah, the, the child, if you, if you carried your child or someone in your household carried your child, that child could hear you when they yep. were in utero and they <laughs> to hear you now. Like you, yep. you are creating the language environment for mm-hmm. that child yes absolutely um right. but i always think it's funny when people like will just talk about stuff that they wouldn't talk about with an older kid with a baby and i'm just like huh like i don't know i guess it sort of depends <laughs> on the thing but i always think that's interesting the way we kind of do objectify like you were saying babies um so it's nice so, that this book takes a different approach yeah i love that i love that um so it also, they touch on how, you know, wondering about your birth parents is totally normal. And um, it continues. What I really like is they, there's a page that says your adoptive parents are your real parents. And then from that on, it basically just refers to them as your parents. Um, and I, you know, I guess, I mean, I guess, and they sort of use the, use the word, the terminology of birth parents as, a, as opposed to biological parents, which I think um i've i think there's sort of a little bit of a movement going in that direction as opposed to bio i know like a lot in a lot of different communities the word biological is sort of being thrown out mm-hmm. uh like in the trans community we don't like that word either mm-hmm. in general um which is kind of an interesting analogy but uh but yeah so so i think i, I sort of like that idea that it's like um although then now that i'm thinking about it, i'm like does that make your birth parents fake <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm thinking oh, about like, it. I'm like, hmm. like the idea that your 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 adoptive parents are your real parents. Yeah. Like, does that mean that you're fake parents? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I liked it at first. Like, my first initial response to it was like, oh, I like that. Now I'm like, huh? Does that invalidate your birth parents? I don't know. Uh, right. I guess it also like, depends on your relationship with them and a lot of different things. Right. But. There's like a reassurance there. There's like yeah. a re- right, like there's a reassurance in that statement, but that also there's like an eraser, an erasure that's happening. Erasure, there. yeah. So now I take it back. Uh, I have mixed feelings about that, mm-hmm. uh, which is okay. We're talking about mixed feelings in this book, so that's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> um, so overall, I I really I like this book. I think. I think the amount of like the balance of the amount of detail is really well done because I feel like it's like 40 pages long and I feel like it could be really heavy and really just like, you know, like a textbook. And it doesn't feel like that. Um, You know, like I, I don't know. 
there definitely is a kid that you could sit down and read this whole book with. You could also definitely read it in chunks or for whatever's relevant, um, I think. And definitely my way to go for this book is I just really like the feelings aspect of it and the interactive aspect of like asking the kids, you know, what are some other ways and sort of brainstorming about other ways we could feel talking about how they feel or felt in those situations. There's also um, a lot of uh, diversity in terms of disability, race, uh, culture, uh, that kind of stuff. The my only um, like we see like a young person with a walker, which I was like, that's cool. Um, you know, we see uh, an, a grown up with a cane, uh, and I believe there was something there was something else disability wise that I noticed now that I'm forgetting. Uh, but yeah, in general, or there's just like there's a picture of a bunch of oh, there's another young person with a walker. There's just a woman wearing a sari, you know, just like with her kid at the park, just chilling. Um, so I I appreciate and was it the book that you had read that they were saying that Asari was like comfortable to clean in or something? No, I don't think that was me. That wasn't. Oh my gosh, I cannot place where this happened. That I was there was something in a book and the statement was that like Asari was comfortable to clean in. And we were like, is it? Like that's a thing to say. And like the <laughs> the other day, the other day, I'm like, I don't know. I've never worn one, so like maybe it is. But the other day, Cat, oh, I don't know if we. For some reason, a sari came up in our conversation. I don't know if we saw someone wearing. I think we saw. Oh, we saw a little uh, grandma wearing one, and she just looked very. It was just very beautiful, and I pointed it out, and Cat was like, "Must be comfortable to clean in." And we're just like, laughing about that. <laughs> but I can't, for the life of me, remember what conver- I I I thought that it might have been with you because Cat would have heard it, mm, like if she right. was editing. But now I'm just like, I have no idea where that came from. Was anyway, it our, was it one of our guests? I don't recall it's that. Possible, but I don't. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> if I think of it, I'll uh, let you know. Yeah, I, was like, I don't know, is it? Um, but like, I don't know. So who who knows? Uh, someone who wears a sari, I guess. Anyway, uh, the and my only sort of room to grow for this book is it's very heteronormative. Um, there's like no LGBTQIA plus family representation at all. There's Aww. no like gender nonconforming kids. Like, there's just <laughs> it's just nothing, um, which is a bummer because. The LGBTQI community are a lot of people who are a lot of them are adopting kids. Oh, that's uh, very. I'm surprised to hear that. Right? Yeah, very what bizarre was to me. That this book was published. Great question. Let's look. I mean, not that that's an excuse. Uh, this says I can never. 2004. Huh. That that still seems a little late. Two. In the game. Yes, I agree with you. And especially coming from Imagination Press, which is which is good about that. So you know, who has many books about uh queer families and um queer kids. Uh that yeah, that to me was just like, huh. Um but other than that, uh, which you know is a big (laughs) a big thing. So uh, so right, I don't and unfortunately this happens a lot where there's a good resource that's not inclusive of LGBTQIA plus families. And then it's like, like I'm thinking of um, uh, it's not the stork or those books as well, where it's a great resource, but then you have to like, you know, edit or, uh, you know, have a whole nother conversation with your kid, right. Where it's just like extra work that you have to do. Um, Which is very um, othering. Right. Yes, and frustrating, and like I shouldn't have to buy a twenty-five dollar book and then do work. It's the same way I feel <laughs> about being a short person and like having to buy. You know, when people will be buying like hundred-dollar pants, I'm like, I'm gonna have to hem those. I'm not buying hundred-dollar pants. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm gonna have to pay someone to then fix them. <laughs> like, 
that's no, I shouldn't have to do that and then do more work. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's my uh, sort of a big bummer about that book. Um, but in, in general, I still feel like it's, um, I really like the content of the book. Um, but yeah, that did, that did definitely bum me out. Uh, and then the last one I want to talk about, this is a book, um, that I actually, I was at a Barnes and Noble, uh, back when I was living in New York and I went in, this was before I really knew a whole lot about children's books. It was my first nannying job and I wanted to get them something. And so I was asking for a book that sort of, uh, was, you know, inclusive of queer families. Cause at the time I was working for a family with a transparent and, uh, and they handed me this book and it's been one of my favorites ever since then. It's called families, 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 and it's by Suzanne Lang and Max Lang. It's, uh, authored and illustrated by the two of them. Um, and, uh, it is published by, uh, Random House, which is a Penguin Random House company. Um, I don't know exactly what that means, uh, as opposed to being like an imprint of something. Um, but I, listen, I'm not an expert on publishing. Um, <laughs> but basically, so basically, it's one of those books that talks about all of the different ways that families can look. And it's actually super quick. So I'm just going to re- read through it. Um, but and also important to know is that the uh, the illustrations are all animals, which I'll talk about my feelings about that later. But um, basically, so like, all of the families, you know, so a so it might be like a family of all pandas or a family of all lions or whatever, and then write the adopt for the adoptive families, like it's different species of animals or like for the one where there's like a stepbrother and a stepsister, it's like different animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they portray that. Uh, but anyway, I'm just gonna read through this book. I love this book so much. It has Sunshine. such, oh, sorry. What? I just, I just want to say like, I'm, um, the illustrations are so unique, like this, this kind of collage, like, yeah, yeah like the, it's the like with realistic stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Really it's really interesting. Um, okay. So it starts and says some children have lots of siblings and you see like, this little duck family with many many ducks some children have none that's me (laughs) some children have two dads and some have one mom some children live with their grandparents and some live with an aunt Uh, some children have many pets and some just have a plant some children live with their father some children have two mothers some children are adopted some have some have stepsisters and brothers some children bunk with their cousins some have a mom and a pop some children's parents are married. Some children's parents are not. So no matter if you have a ma, a pa, a hog, this llama, 10 frogs and a slug, a cousin named Doug, a great grandma Betty and a great aunt Sue, uncles Hal, Al, and Sal, and uncle Lou too. One stepsis, three step bros, two stepmoms, and a prize winning bros, a robot butler to serve you tea, the world's biggest grandpa, or whatever it might be. If you love each other, you're a family. Um, and so there's a couple things that I really like about this book. Um, my... First of all, I want to address the whole animal thing. Well, I usually, I'm like always kind of like, why couldn't you just made that people? Um, in this book, I don't know why it doesn't bother me as much. Because uh, I feel like it's, like, I think it could have been people and that would have been fine too. Um, but I don't know, for some reason it doesn't bother me as much. I think it does a good job of sort of explaining, like, for me, and I, and again, I'm not a kid, so I don't know if a kid would easily translate, right, the fact that they're all animals to, like, different kinds of people. Um, but for me, I'm kind of like, I don't know, that's fine. But I guess you lose the ability to show that a family might have different skin colors or a family might have different, right? Like, there's something there that you lose the ability to do that with. 
Um, right, right. All these families are the same species, with the exception of the ones who are adopted and the ones who are like a step step family, um, mixed family, like that. Right. Um, the other so, reason yeah. that it might that it the one reason I'm inclined to forgive it is that the art is so stinking cute. <laughs> Like there's echoes of Sandra Boynton. There's echoes mm-hmm. of Olivier Denaria, like with the little ducklings. Um, yeah. Like, that. like, so, but yes, absolutely. Like there's something, there's something gained by the idea of, by, by using animals, but then there's something, there is something lost. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the two sort of way to goes that I have for this book that I like are, I love that the heteronormative family is like the end of the book. I don't know if you noticed that. A mm. mom and a pop is like the last one they say, or the second to last one they say. Oh, right. They yeah. start, it starts, so it's uh, lots of siblings, none, two dads, one mom. Like two dads is the third page. Um, then we have grandparents, aunt, many pets, a plant, uh, just what one father, two mothers, adopted stepsisters and brothers uh cousins then a mom and a pop and then it's some children's parents are married some children's parents are not it's almost the last one right. which i'm like yeah and even um, the, um even the first picture right so it says some children have lots of siblings and some have mm-hmm. none and the picture of the some have none where there's three like two adults and a child it's like very it's like very um yeah it's ambiguous it could be yeah right yeah, yeah that's uh that's nicely done one doesn't ha- oh wait one has eyelashes and one doesn't have eyelashes i'm sorry are those eyelashes <laughs> yep oh, but you Which, know what Both, everyone has eyelashes okay but that's what i think is so funny and also i want to tell you that when i started testosterone my eyelashes got longer so i don't know where this myth comes from that women have eyelashes and right. men don't have eyelashes right. It's weird. Like, it's Ill, a thing that really bothers me in illustration when only women have eyelashes. I'm like, oh. no eyelashes or everyone gets them. So you're like, right. This, this, this picture might be uh, using eyelashes as a subtle indicator, but we are taking it back. We are yeah, saying, no. uh, we reject that. Yeah, these absolutely are, These not. are gender ambiguous pandas. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I really like that they say is that some children's parents are married and some children's parents are not because like that's a fact and i don't think i've ever seen that in another children's book um that i can think of where they explicitly are like yeah like uh, that's just the thing some people are married and some people aren't married right all those people are allowed to have kids um so yeah so i really like those those two things specifically um i I mean the only sort of room to grow i have is is our conversation about like animals not animals i don't know um but uh, I, like we said, I think there are some things to be gained and some things to be lost in both sort of iterations. Um, but overall, I, I really like this book. I think it's my it's one of my favorite sort of like these are the ways all different kinds of families can look books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's like for me, I find it one of the more inclusive ones, uh, especially with the like married and not married. I, like I said, I've never seen that before in a book like this. Um, and the robot. And the robot, yeah, you might have a robot butler to serve you tea. Like, who knows? Um. <laughs> um, and then, you know, at the the last page that says, if you love each other, your family, it's like all the different animals, um, even including the giant whale, Grandpa. Right. Which <laughs> I first thought was just a background. Right? 
enormous for whale. Oh my gosh. Yep. Um, but yeah, I really, I think this is a really cute book um, and I like it a lot. Um, but uh, now I would love to hear about your books. Okay. Oh, um, I had a hard time with this theme. Yeah. 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 It wasn't uh, easy. Uh, yeah. I think because I, I don't have, um, I, I'm not an adoptee or an adopt we did we have um we did foster a child for a period of time that um uh so I don't have a lot of firsthand experience with this but of course that's true for a lot of our themes but I think Mm -hmm. also just because I I know there's a strong like anti-adoption advocacy uh, hmm. or, you know, anti-adoption movement or kind of ethical adoption movement that I don't, oh, I don't okay. know that I have a, a deep perspective on. Um, so I, I wanted to tread really, really carefully. Um, uh, but of course, I, I, you know, I, I try to tread carefully with all of our themes <laughs> this uh, is true. as a, as a bumbling white woman, right? That's my job <laughs> to tread carefully and listen carefully. Um, but I did find a couple of books uh, that I wanted to call attention to um, and a couple that, uh, and then, well, no, let me just jump right in. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> after that long preamble, here we go. So the first story that I wanted to shout out is called Pablo's Tree. Mm. And Pablo's Tree is written by Pat Mora. Um, and Pat, I know Moore, that name. Yeah. Pat Moore is a pretty prolific author. She mm. is a resident of Texas, but had, um, uh, her, her grandparents came uh, to Texas from Northern Mexico. And, um, the illustrator is Cecily Lang, who is a, an, an author or an, I'm sorry, an illustrator who, who lives in New York. Um, and I wasn't able to find a lot about, um, about Cecily's background um but and this is the story that I I would say that on our spectrum of like problem story to incidental representation this is on the the side of incidental representation okay Um, so this is a story of a um of a child it's it's his birthday it's Pablo's birthday and he um he and his mother and it seems throughout the story that he um that she is a single parent um, he and his mother are going to his um, uh, his uh, Lito's house, his grandfather's house, to celebrate his birthday because every year his grandfather um, decorates a special tree for him, like in honor of him. And they, they sit together and they play with Aww. whatever toys have been received for the birthday and they munch on apples and they kind of talk about his, um, his origin story. Mm. Um, and so, and his origin story is that, uh, that he is adopted and his mother, and so his, his grandfather talks about how his mother came to him, uh, and said, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to adopt a baby. And, um, the grandfather talks about how kind of excited he was. And he talks about how he went out immediately and bought this tree, um, mm. and said, this tree is going to be for my grandson. And then um, Pablo's mother says, like, dad, like, I might, like, what if it's a baby girl? And he said, I love, I love little girls, but this is for my boy. Um, And and I'll talk a little bit more about that in my room to grow. But, um, and then, 
so every year or so then he talks about how she calls one day and he knows immediately like oh my goodness like my grand my grandson has arrived and then there's this introduction um and they just talk about how every year the tree is decorated this when the baby arrives in their family um he plants the tree he very carefully decides kind of where to plant the tree in honor of this child and then mm-hmm. every year he decorates it um, and, you know, the first year it's decorated with streamers and the, the you know, one-year-old baby is grabbing at all the streamers and then <laughs> the next year it's balloons. And then there's a year that it's bird cages and paper lanterns and bells and chimes. Um, and then it just, it, they're just sitting under the tree kind of talking, like reminiscing about this story, you know, that they clearly, that this is the tradition that they've built together. Mm. And then Pablo asks like, what's going to be on my tree next year? And his grandfather says, well, that's a surprise. And that's the end. Um, and so uh, what I love about this, the kind of the, the way to goes for this story are that it, it really features this strong intergenerational relationship between a grandson and a grandfather. Um, I love that there's just this incidental representation of adoption, right? Like this is their mm-hmm. family. Um, and it has these really strong, beautiful traditions. It features single parenthood in a really positive light. Um, there, there's a lot of like emphasis on musical instruments and they're just sitting mm. around eating fruit and it's just, you know, there's a lot to, I really love about this story. And the art is, um, the art is, uh, kind of, uh, two dimensional, uh, how did, how did the illustrator, um, she, Cecily Langs, uh, kind of uses a lot of bright color and she, she says on her biography, that her ideas about color were influenced by old animation I saw as a student. And there is a little bit of like a, like a retro, like simpleness to the illustrations. Mm. Um, like two, like, like I said, like two dimensionalness, but like with really vivid expressions on the faces and um, yeah, that I think the art is, is really, really nicely done. Um, and the rooms to grow for this title, I would say like there's a little bit of like gender, like gender normativeness, right? And like yeah. gender assigning. Um, but I also, so, right. And we know from books that we love, like when Aiden became a brother, a big, like that we, we don't want to presume a child's gender, um, right? Like yeah, let children decide for themselves how they identify. Also, um, I always think it's weird when someone's like, I know it's going to be a boy. And you're just like, what? Right. Like, <laughs> like before a kid is born and people. So I don't know if I've ever told this story to you or on the podcast before, but did I ever tell you the story about how the first time I was ever gendered in my life, I was gendered correctly? No. Tell us so it's a good story. So when I was born, my, you know, as often does, my head came out. And my dad said, it's a boy. And the doctor said, we usually wait for the other end, sir. Um, but he was right. <laughs> That's my favorite thing about that story. He was right. <laughs> that gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, and, you, uh, and one could say the same thing about this story, right? Like this grandfather, he kind of says like this like he felt that this child that was going to come into their family was going to be a grandson, right? And maybe yeah. that was true no matter what the child, what gender the child was assigned at birth, right? So like there's, so there is some gender 
there's some gender assigning kind of, but there's also like this, this focus more on like the, the connectivity of this, this man and his, his grandson, right. Mm. Rather than, I, I don't, I don't know how to, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not yes. describing Yes, it well. I do. <laughs> like the way that it's presented is not in a gender assignee way. It's more focused on this kind of, this person's premonition about this child and his life mm-hmm. and who that child would be. Um, and I like that the way that the tree is decorated is not gender normative, right? It's not like, and the oh. year one did like fire trucks and, you know, it's like <laughs> dreamers and balloons and bur- and bells Aww. and chimes. And it, he has a little car in one picture and it's a pink car uh, Pablo has. And when he's packing to go to his grandfather's house, he's bringing his flute and his tambourine and his whale book and his pink car. Um, so it actually does kind of a nice job of presenting like there's not a lot of like gender normative hmm. stuff, um, like um, which is also, you know, more way to goes. Um, but the, my, the room to grow, I would say, is that there's no role of the birth family in this child's origin story. Hmm. Um, and so it is a story that is only incidentally about, a, about the fact that this child's adopted. However, I think that, um, uh, there's a movement toward really centering, centering the birth, the birth family in a story like this, at least giving, yeah. nod, at least giving nod to them. Right. Like they're, they're, they're completely erased from the story. Mm. So that's a, that's a gap that could have been kind of easily remedied. There could have been just a line or two in, in the information that's given about when the phone call came and when Pablo arrived. So that's my room to grow for this book. Yeah. So I would suggest yeah. when reading this book, when enjoying this book with a young reader, kind of taking a pause there and, and, and introducing that idea a little bit mm-hmm. uh, with the child reader. Yeah. Agreed. That's Pablo's tree. And, and I think it, that's something that we, we talk about a lot where like, just don't forget that you can pause and ask questions and insert, you know, hmm, like, do you think, you know, do you think you could know if a baby is a boy or a girl, like a baby's gender before they're born or like the baby's sex before they're born? You know what I mean? Like you can ask those kinds of questions. Right, right. Um, and sort of dismantle the couple of things that maybe you're, you know, if there is a book that maybe has a couple of things that you're like, hmm, about like, you could just talk about it. Right. And yeah, who, who do you think called? Who do you think called Pablo's, Pablo's mom? Mm. And where, where do you exactly. think, where do you think Pablo came from? And wow, it must have been hard for them to, to have their child join another family. They probably really love Pablo too. Um, you know, so things like that. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so this but book I think, was, oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say this. I, I failed to mention this was published by um, Simon and Schuster um, in 1994. So it's an oh, older wow. one. Oh, wow. It's an older yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and it features a, a family who is uh who their where they live is not really identified, but Pat Mora is of Mexican uh, mm-hmm. descent, and this family looks fairly uh, brown, and they call um, grandfather Abuelito. So um, nice. there's some nice representation there too. I love that. I lo- I mean, I feel like it often. I mean, sort of like what I was talking about in the other book, like the um, all about adoption is like it can be about adoption, but we can't have 
this group in it right it's like or it can or we'll have lots of stories about like one like a topic but it'll has to be a white family you know what i mean like a lot of these like topical books um mm-hmm. it feels like like there's no intersectionality a lot of times like if you're you know it's like they can be this thing but they can't be disabled also right so it's like right. it's like they can be adopted and also you know people of color <laughs> Yes. Know, at the same time, it's possible. Yeah. And incidentally, um, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a story that I, 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 I would recommend. And it seems that, um, that it is what had, was well received in the online kind of research that I did as well. Good. So, yeah, Poplar's Tree. Um, next on my list is a book called um, Mother Bridge of Love. And this book um, was published by Barefoot Books, uh, I believe in 2007, originally. And it was illustrated by uh, Josie Massey, who is a a Montreal-based graphic designer and illustrator. Hey, represent. Mm -hmm, Montreal. (laughs) Um, And it it features a poem that uh, I believe is, so there's kind of a story that this poem, it's a little bit unclear. I've seen it online represented as a poem that is kind of an anonymous poem that has been around for a long time about adoption. Um, I've also Mm. seen it represented that this is a poem that was sent specifically to the a woman named Shushe Shinran is the founder of a nonprofit called Mother's Bridge org um, and mothersbridge.org is a an organization that is kind of designed to support um, and connect it says we are reaching out to Chinese children in all corners of the world those who have been adopted by Western families those who have been raised abroad and those living in China and so it's a it's an institution um, and a nonprofit that is designed to kind of uh, connect um, Chinese children with like Chinese culture um, and to create a quote unquote bridge of understanding between China and the West and between adoptive culture and birth culture. So this book, um, uh, how do I say this? Proceeds from this book originally went to this organization. Um, And so this story is a poem um, and it is a poem about the two women in the life of an adopted child, the birth mother and the adoptive mother. That sounds lovely. Um, yeah, let me let me just pull up where I have. I found the poem on I can wait, let me let me just pull this up really quickly. Um, so it begins. Um, Once there were two women who hardly knew each other, one you do not remember, the other you call mother. Two different lives shaped to make yours one, one becoming your guiding star, the other became your son. Um, And it goes on, um, I won't read the whole poem, but um, it ends, um, uh, the age-old question throughout the years, heredity or environment, which are you the product of? Both, my darling, both, and two different kinds of love. Um, And throughout the book, the illustrations show this child and also two women 
one who appears to be Chinese, one who appears to be Western. Um, and, and it, like it shows a, a, a Chinese woman pregnant, um, but then also it shows kind of uh, the, the mother kind of becomes parts of the environment, kind of omnipresent, the birth mother, like always there, mm. um, still a force in this child's life. Um, and the illustrations are very kind of in, in barefoot book style, like very soft, um, you know, warm colors, warm, like soft rounded shapes. The cover has two hands that are creating a heart around this child who's turning a cartwheel. Um, so it's very lovely. It's very lovely. Um, and the, my way to go for Mother Bridge of Love um, is that it centers the birth mother in a way that's not typically seen in a lot of picture books. Like it's very much a celebration of her um, and the role that she played in bringing this child into the world and the role that she continues, the love that she, that she carries for this child. Um, uh, Some criticisms of this book or the rooms to grow. um, I have in my research about this book, um, one critic pointed out that all the characters have the same skin color, even though Mm. it's supposed to be kind of a transnational adoption situation. Um, and that the depictions of the Chinese characters are a little bit stereotyped, which is problematic because it's not an un- an own voices illustrator. Um, and then also the poem itself, um, it's it's it is um, very sweet. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little clunky, and there's some okay. like, <laughs> there's some contradictory messaging in it. Um, oh. Like the whole idea behind this poem is that that the the birth mother continues to be a presence and continues to carry so much love for this child. Right. And that's how it ends, which is like two types of love. Although one Mm. would argue that they're both like maybe, I mean, well, some people have taken issue with even the idea that it's two different types of love when both are like a mother's love. Um, But the, like in the book, one of this, one of the phrases, or sorry, in the poem, one of the phrases is the first gave you a need for love and the second was there to give it, which like isn't (laughs) like, um, and I think that the idea behind that is like the first basically gave you life and the second is here to like fill your daily need to have your cup filled, but that's not great. Yeah, yeah. So there, I think there might there might be a way to rework that that sentence when when reading the story. So that so that like I said, yeah, that's some of the, of the room to grow for that book. So um, like I said, I think that centering the birth mother is um, a really important, um, really like a like a very valuable thing to do in a picture book um, for a, a a child who has been adopted. Um, but there's still some clunkiness around this. Yeah. And there's only, there's no other, um, there's kind of no other, fa- no other family mentioned, right? There's no mention mm. of any of it, which again, there's definitely room for, for, um, for books and poems and songs and stories that celebrate motherhood. But of course, mothers are not the only people that adopt children and there's other people that are involved in making a family and, um, yeah, all of those things that, that make the I, 
I, you know what I was baffled by is just like, like if I'm watching something and it's from the nineties and people are like, moms, 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 moms are the people who give birth. I'm like, okay, it was the nineties. When I'm watching something from now and people are using that language, like I was watching that babies documentary on Netflix and they were using that kind of language, like that women are the only people who can give birth. And uh, I was just like baffled by that. Um, and then they, they did a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a study, like a scientific study with all uh, two, uh, two dad families uh, who had adopted children with, or no, I think it was two dad families who used a surrogate uh, in this particular study. And they kept, and, and the way she said it, she was like, we had very special families in this study. And I was like, what? They're just families. families. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. There was something that the, we, I was watching it because the twin, the twins wanted to see babies. And I was like, here's some real babies. I'm not watching stupid baby cartoons. <laughs> they oh, won. Wait a minute, but which, which, uh, are you talking about the documentary babies? Yes. The one that doesn't have very much. I wonder if we're talking about the same thing. I don't know. It's, it's a Netflix documentary called babies with the four children from different parts of the world. No, no. Okay. 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 I just want to, okay. So babies is a 2020 American documentary web television series. Okay. I just wanted to clarify because there is another documentary that was done. Called Wait, it came out in 2020. That's and they still says. were using that. Oh my God. I'm going to write to Netflix. Um, <laughs> yeah right that's gonna do anything but oh my god come on people you are doctors and scientists like ugh. yeah yeah well that right exactly so it's uh so okay i just want to clarify for our for our listeners that there is another film a 2010 mm-hmm. french documentary film by thomas oh. Palme, which is also called babies that is fantastic and that is not oh, the one that we are having a scathing response to right now <laughs> so if you have a choice watch the 2010 french documentary mm-hmm. yeah um yeah so right exactly so like i i commend that mother's bridge of love celebrates the birth mother in a way that's not often seen but right, still centering motherhood is mm-hmm. just so very heteronormative and kind of um, patriarchal and all of those gender normative, all of that. Um, <laughs> all so, of that. Yes, all of that, all of those isms that we try to avoid, yep. that we want to see blown yep. up a little bit. <laughs> right. So uh, I do have, so right, so strong rooms to grow, but also I do see a place for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, like, I, I like the work that it's trying to do. Um, and then, uh, another book I wanted to just give kind of a, uh, an honorary mention to in part because okay. I, was, I wasn't able to get my hands on it, gotcha. um, because of, um, COVID times. I know uh, libraries, man, I miss them. Yeah. Yeah. So actually there's two books that I want to give a quick honorary mention to. So I'm just gonna, sure. I'm just gonna do them a little more quickly. Um, the one I want to give an honorary mention to first is called Home at Last, and it was written by Vera Williams of the A Chair for My Mother um, mm-hmm. fame and more, more, more said the baby, um, and who did, from what I read, um, she felt 
compelled to write this story. This is the last story that she wrote and she actually passed away before it was completed. Oh. Uh, but she wanted to write the story because she spent time in a children's home um, mm. when, as, a, as a young child herself. Um, and it was illustrated by Chris Rashka, who is um, right the Caldecott Medal winner of A Ball for Daisy and the Caldecott Honor winner, I believe, for Yo Yes. Um, very prolific and well-respected illustrator, but who is a white man of like Austrian and American, well, okay. uh, Austrian and United, his father's from, from the United States, his mother's Austrian. Um, he seems to be in a um, heterosexual relationship. Um, so this is not necessarily an own voices story because this is the story of um, a little boy who's adopted out of foster care by two dads. Um, and the, my way to go is for this book, again, having not been able to get my, my hands on it, but from the research that I've done is that it does center the child, right? It centers mm-hmm. the adoptee. It features the adoption of an, yeah, yeah. It features the adoption of an older child. Oh, he's that's six funny. years old when he's being adopted. Um, it does feature two dads. Um, all does not go smoothly. Like this is the story mm. of this child feeling very fearful and and not feeling totally secure in this home as much as he loves, you know, he has a very strong relationship with these people. It talks about how he has been visiting with them for a year. It just, the, the adoption process takes a long time. He has pictures of them all as a family by his bed where he's living right in his foster home. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of it touches on all of those like realities of the like foster mm. who adopt or the the, the that's the, really nice the, that system. Um, one of the dads, it's, it's oh, so interesting that like while it's such a it's so common like fostering to adopt is so common and I feel like there aren't many books about it that I've seen. Right, right. Like Although, it's either a book about foster care or a book about adoption. Right. Although in this, it's interesting because I say foster to adopt, but actually this child seems to be adopt, being adopted out of foster care, but isn't already living with the dads. Oh, okay. So that's right. So maybe it is that even gotcha. kind of an accurate representation of what the situation would be is questionable. But, you know, some things it does well or that is unique to this book and there should be more about them right is that it features a child who's older who's being adopted it features two dads um all does not go smoothly the dads are not perfect one of the dads has a has a temper and uh, and loses Mm. his temper which i did read some criticism that it's like um that could be scary and triggering if you are reading this with a child who actually um was a, a child from foster care but I also think that it's like very real, yeah. right? Like a, a, someone who's becoming a new parent for the first time or someone Absolutely. who is, like, you know, like you lose your temper and you, you make mistakes as a parent, Yep. <laughs> um, right? And so I, I do want to get my hands on this book and maybe I'll talk about it more when we discuss foster care um, because I, I was not able to see how that, that scene is followed up on right? Like mm. the, the father. Yes. Which, which makes a big, yeah, which makes a big difference. Right. So, um, so that is a cautionary moment, but I, I would like, I hope that it's done well. Um, but I, and so, uh, I actually like that the, that the parents are not perfect in the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, particularly if it's done well, but caveat, I haven't, I can't vouch for whether or not it's done well or not. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's about a child 
becoming more, um, feeling more at home ultimately. And then there's a, the, the role of the dog and helping make that happen is very mm-hmm. sweet. Um, and, uh, but rooms to grow, uh, one, I want something I read in Goodreads that I thought was very valid considering this is not an own voices book. Um, a Goodreads critic, Scott Robbins, uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to quote this, this Goodreads critic. It says, okay. this story of the adoption of a young boy by two gay dads hits all the right emotional notes, but came off as pretty generic and not nuanced at all. A definite lack of a queer voice here. Mm. Um, which I thought... I, I think is valid when you have a, when you have uh, folks being penned and, and illustrated by, you know, not own voices. Well, I think we talked about that. We talked about that with uh, Aiden um, when Aiden became a brother where like, it was clear to me at certain points, like, okay, this was written by a trans person. Like I, I could tell as a trans person, I was like, oh, these are moments that I've had. And a person who is not of that experience would not have had that nuance, right? And it's not their fault. They just haven't lived that experience. You exactly. know what I mean? It's not like, oh, you can't write trans. It's just like, no, that we can tell. Like people can tell when their own stories are being written. Right, right. And so I think that that is a very valid, um, you know, so what we talk about, like you that's why own voices is so critically important. Like who, who can, who can tell the story um, and who should tell this story and what's missing when, mm-hmm. when the story is being told. Um, so uh, kind of like mother bridge, I think that this book fits, fills an important, like there's some things that this book is setting out to do that are really important that it's setting out to do them. But um but it is not uh, necessarily hitting all the marks. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to give a little bit of a, a little bit of a, an honorable mention to mainly because of the way the author illustrator has handled it. Um, I just wanted to call attention to a book called the red thread An adoption fairy tale by Grace mm. Lynn. Um, oh. And we love Grace Lynn Mm -hmm. and I love her even more after this, because this is, um, uh, this is a story of, um, a king and queen who are white. Well, the, the, the book is framed by a little girl who appears to be Chinese, who wants to read a story with her parents who present as West, you know, white. Um, and then they sit down to read the story together. So it's like a story within a story. And it's a fairy tale. The Princess Bride. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And it's very much a a story about a king and a queen who felt like something was missing from their life and they have a pain in their heart. And an old peddler comes and says, you have these threads coming out of your heart um, and you need to follow the threads and find out what's at the end of them. And they they trek across, across the land and across the ocean and ultimately, they find that the threads are connected to this little baby. Is it a baby? I knew it's it. It's a baby. <laughs> it's um, always a baby. And there are villagers, um, you know, a small village where where the people, um, they don't speak the same language, but they end up in the same, you know, they end up with, with this baby. And then the queen asks, who does this baby belong to? And then one of the women um, who also has these spectacles that are 
um, kind of the gimmick is that the people with these special spectacles can see this red thread. That's how the mm. peddler was able to tell them, no, the situation is you have this thread coming out of your heart. Um, and she says, this baby belongs to you. Oh. Um, and then uh, uh, the baby is brought back to the kingdom and becomes the princess of the kingdom. And then at the end, you know, it shows the parents with this child again. And they're saying like, yes, this is our favorite story too. Um, yeah so it's interesting because um so grace lynn her um and i've had the privilege of hearing her speak a couple times Mm. um, in person and then i've also done a lot of research on her she is someone who was always very she went to risd and she was very um drawn to like renaissance art Ah. And like Europe, you know, the, the kind of the, I believe she studied in Italy and it, she kind of came around to realizing that she wanted to focus more on, on kind of, um, uh, art that was stylistically more like Chinese, right. Which she does incredibly beautifully in where the mountain meets the moon and all her work. So she kind of circled around to coming home to some of the stories that had been on a bookshelf as a child that she had had ignored like Chinese fairy tales that she had really kind of ignored. And then she dove into them to kind of inform her body of work, which Mm. she does in a really beautiful way. And the whole idea of the red thread is that there is, and that also comes up in her stories where the mountain meets the moon and that trilogy um, this story begins by saying there's an ancient Chinese belief that an invisible, unbreakable red thread connects all those who are destined to be together, um, which is a, a lovely idea. And it's something that is um, has been embraced by the adoption community. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting is that this book is a book that kind of does everything that anti-adoption advocates push back against right it's centering this western story like literally like a king and yeah like fairy tale like yes centering like a western style fairy tale um centering their story and seeking a child like erasing the birth like it talks about the village the child's from but in a very like superficial way um erasing the birth family there's an elder and like, there's tons of, there's tons of like adults in this village. Right. But of course okay. the baby is now going to go live with these white people, like instead <laughs> of all of these loving adults that are like standing around, like, you know, so it's kind of, it's, yeah. it is a fairy tale glossed over depiction of adoption. Yeah. Um, so in those ways, it's very, it's problematic, but what I love so what I deeply appreciate about Grace Lynn as an author, as a creator, as a human being, is that on her website, she says, um, Grace, so she talks about kind of her, the impetus behind the story is that she had people in her life that had adopted um, Chinese babies. You know, she actually dedicates the book kind of to these different families um, she was loved this idea, this story about the red thread. Um, and she also like has this history of really um, being fascinated with like Western, like traditional, like Renaissance art and these stories. But she says, however, Grace now realizes that this book was ill-conceived and not not well thought out. There are concerns that the red thread glosses over the truths of adoption 
painting an unrealistic picture of families torn apart as well as brought together. Also in this book, Grace admits she created her own childhood desire of an Asian girl being a princess in European fairy tale without reflection, a true Mm. contradiction to many of her books that deal with identity. Grace is very sorry for the insensitivities. Mm. Um, And then she says she's grateful to those who enjoy the book who are she is there interpreting it with her true like original intention but she apologizes for the impact of the book and for failing to take the proper consideration before creating it she hopes that the book she has created after this one shows she's trying harder oh I like that so I so appreciate the reason I wanted to call attention to this book um so that folks who do stumble upon it can kind of know her, in, like like she says, like her intention, but also the impact that it's having and can kind yeah. of mediate their, their reading of it and kind of, again, call attention to those gaps that are not kind of presented the way that they should be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just love that like, this is how you do an apology, right? Yep. Like on her website, she is she is acknowledging the harm she is talking about like exactly like given an explanation of like the intention, but recognizing that impact is more important and saying, yeah, it's like, not just like, well, this is my intention. So, mm. right. Exactly. And like, so that I thought that was, I just commend her for having, um, for making space to have this conversation and for, um, just again like modeling modeling what a good human being should should do (laughs) which is something we all need right now well it's like more grown-ups modeling how to apologize appropriately yeah well I think apologizing is something it's right we don't get a class in it and I think that we you know often it's we learn it from the people in our lives and how they apologize and I just remember one particular situation where a roommate of mine had uh gone to another roommate to uh, basically (laughs) this this roommate was wild um they were in a conversation with uh with their partner and they just stopped talking in the middle of the conversation and their partner was like getting upset like they literally would not respond to their partner Mm -hmm. and they're like well sorry i was active listening and they were like what Okay, so this is like a whole thing. So, so my, so that roommate who that situation happened. Active to, listening is not radio silence. Um, ta- was talking to my other roommate and was like, "Here's my apology oh, to either. my partner." And the whole apology was just like, "I'm sorry you felt that way." And my and my roommate was like, "That's great. Where's the apology?" <laughs> like, you know. And I, I, you know, but I think it's like me? unless we're in therapy, a lot of times like we don't learn how to apologize and like what a real apology is and like, why are, who are we apologizing for? Is it for us to make us feel better? Um, right. Or is it, you know, actually for the person we're apologizing yeah. to. And, and I think that, you know, that's a really great example of, you know, not, she's not making excuses. You know what I mean? Oh, are you still there? Did I lose you? Oh, hey, are, are, you, you, are you there? Yes. I lost, I lost you. That's okay. Yeah. Whatever. I was just talking about apologies and making excuses. Oh, dang it. I wanted to hear that story and it's not showing up on my, like, I don't even see any lines there. I have it there. So it looks oh. like it. You'll have to wait until post. Oh. 
but whatever. It's just, I wanted like, to hear the roommate drama. <laughs> yeah. Um. I now I'm like now my gears are turning. I'm like, are there books teaching children how to apologize? <laughs> Good topic. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, um, that we should. That would be an interesting. That would be an interesting uh, subject to explore. Right. No. Yep, the way that apologies are done in stories and who does it well. Now I want to now I want to see if anyone has written that paper and if they haven't <laughs> to do I love you so much. Uh, <laughs> and then I want to write a paper about it. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, well, anyway, thank you. It's just been a pleasure as always. I'm excited to do our uh, episode about apologies now. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I do oh feel like it's a theme. It's a, it has become a running theme, right? We talk about incidental representation, and we talk about how well people make amends for the harm they've caused yeah, by their bad yeah. books. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And I don't mean bad book, Gracelyn. I love you, and I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so man. I guess our our big takeaway is right, like representation, and make sure that when we're reading these books, that we call attention to the the voices that are left out yeah. also intersectionality exists uh yeah that yeah, another <laughs> running theme of Rajah. yeah you can be more than <laughs> one thing at once otherwise like i don't exist anymore i like i'm right? so sorry i yeah. can't be i can't be like disabled and queer it's not possible right exactly you need to pick one or the other come on i know I'm, it's well i'm also bisexual so i just <laughs> need to choose all over the place pick one Seth um, that's a joke you don't need to pick one bisexual uh, yeah and on that note I'm going to stop the recording Woo! Kat can do whatever she wants with that Woo! and remember stay rad <laughs>